My name is Timothy Stackpole. I'm a fireman, ladder 103, uh, 18 years on the job. You're listening to a taped public service announcement for the Wild Cornell Burn Center, where Timothy Stackpole's life was saved. I always, even as a child, I wanted to be a fireman. And as I got older and I went to college, I still wanted to be a fireman. On June 5th, 1998, Timothy Stackpole was severely injured in a fifth alarm fire in Brooklyn. Two of his fellow firefighters were killed and more injured in a collapse at the operation. Stackpole spent more than two months in the burn center with fourth and fifth degree burns over 30% of his body. He endured many surgeries and years of grueling rehabilitation. During that time, he had two goals. One, to recover and spend as much time as he could with his family, and two, to return full duty to the job he loved. Against popular opinion, he succeeded. On March 10, 2001, Stackpole returned to his job as an FDNY lieutenant. He was promoted to captain on September 6, 2001, and was off duty the morning of September 11th. Of course, he responded, greatest high you can ever get in life is by helping somebody and making a difference in life. Doing things because it's the right thing to do, not because you're looking for something like, how's it going to benefit me? Anybody can just do their job to the letter of the rules, but it's it's overextending yourself and, and doing that little extra, that little above the call of duty that makes, makes the fire department special. Stackpole was one of the hundreds of FDNY members who answered the call after the World Trade Center was struck by two airplanes, and one of the 343 who were killed when the Twin Towers collapsed. Timothy Stackpole was a devoted husband, loving father, and courageous firefighter. It has been said Stackpole was a hero, not only because of how he died, but more importantly, because of how he lived. You're listening to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. In this episode, I'm honored to bring you the inspiring story of FDNY Captain Timothy Stackpole, told by his family, friends, and fellow firefighters who were influenced by his leadership. Captain Stackpole grew up in Marine Park, Brooklyn, where he met his wife, Tara. Both Timmy and Tara came from big families and were eager to start their own. Our experience growing up in our families was a good one, and we loved having all our relatives and cousins around, and so we wanted to have kids and have them be able to have that. The two wed in June of 1985. During their marriage, Timmy and Tara raised five children, Kevin, Caitlin, Brian, Brendan, and TJ. It was crazy and hectic, but we, like, we lived in a small house. And people would come in and be like, how do you all fit in this house? But looking back, th- those were like some of the happiest days of our lives. In a home video the Stackpoles shared with me from 1998, the family's at a basketball game cheering on Caitlin. Timmy is successfully sharing his time and attention with each one of his children in the frame. 
You can see he's simultaneously watching the game, hugging whichever child comes closest to him, and is keeping his radar up in case the boys, who are climbing all over the bleachers, get into trouble. Sports were a big part of the Stackpole's lives. All of the children competed on teams, which was important to Timmy. He was a star player on the St. Francis Prep football team when he attended college there. Once he became a firefighter, he joined the FTNY's bravest football team. He always said all the lessons he needed in life he learned on the football field. And so I think he carried that into the fire department with him. Timmy Stackpole worked in some of the FDNY's busiest companies while juggling family life. Before his promotion to lieutenant, Stackpole served in Brooklyn's Ladder 147 and Rescue Company 2. Terrence Coyle worked with Stackpole when they were both firefighters in Rescue 2. I remember when I first got to Rescue 2, nowadays firemen work 24s. Back then in that firehouse, everyone worked straight tours. Uh, because of the, the fire load and the amount of work, they kind of frowned on it because it was just so much. They, didn't want you, they wanted you to be full strength when you were at work. But Timmy, like most guys, worked second jobs to support his family. And I remember him coming in like on a hot summer day, covered in dirt, and he, he had a job there for a long time where he put AC units in buildings. So he'd be on a ladder, jackhammering the side of the brick out of a building, putting in ACs, and then come to work, and then go back to his second job, and then come back to work. That's how committed he was. That's how driven. Stackpole's fierce work ethic and devotion to his family translated to the fire ground. It was great working. It was the kind of guy that when you would come in and you saw his name on the writing list, it was like, ah, you know, not that he didn't do that with everyone else there, but there was something about him that there was a comfort there, just a connection with him, you know, the way he was, the way he carried himself. Quiet, but don't mistake kindness for weakness kind of thing. Lieutenant Robert LaRocco, or Rocky, retired from the FDNY with almost 40 years of service. He worked with Stackpole in Rescue 2, where he learned just how powerful Timmy was. He, he was so strong, he could use his halogen tool, and he would twist and shatter the case hard and hasp of these heavy-duty American locks. And as strong as I was at the time, I was never able to do it. Warren Fuchs, who served as an FDNY dispatcher for 37 years and was known as the Voice of Brooklyn, was neighbors with the Stackpoles. Timmy would help Fuchs with his air conditioner in the summer, but all year long, he worked with him in the fire service. He was full of high energy. It was like 24-7, if you can believe, <laughs> if you can believe that. I, I think he had to be high energy in his, in his sleep, you know, <laughs> because that's the way he was. Stackpole was enthusiastic about every aspect of his life, especially fighting fires. He was affectionately given the nickname Timothy Jobs Stackpole by his fellow FDNY members. Well, because Timmy always said, why, why, you got to get me a job, a job tonight, you know, a job was you know, a work on fire. So, uh, you know, we used to call him Timmy, I, I said it all the time, Timmy Jobs, hey, Jim, Timmy, you know, like, and he'd be on the phone, come on, we got to get it, send us here, send us here, send us there. To Timmy, the department's life-saving mission was his calling. As much activity as Stackpole saw during his career, he never boasted about it. But uh, at this fire on Sunnyside Avenue, we had 60 OAs, six people that died at the fire. 
but in the course of the fire, Timmy rescued a child from the fire. And like uh, I said, oh, you, you're going to get written up. And he said, nah, he goes, look, look at all the tragedy that occurred here. He goes, I, I, I don't want to get written up. But, uh, you know, Timmy was, was modest like that. He was that type of guy. Mike Brady was a young firefighter in Ladder Company 103 in the mid-1990s when then-Lieutenant Stackpole was assigned to Engine 290 in Ladder 103. He remembers Stackpole's excitement for fire duty and eagerness to pass on his knowledge and experience. You know, everything was easygoing until it was on fire, and then he was very intense, but not to other people, just as far as the job went. He, I think that was, if anything, he always treated people with the utmost respect, and I think it carries a lot in life. Timmy Stackpole was fortunate to have legendary mentors who helped him along the way. Leaders like John Drennan, Mike Burke, Jerry O'Donnell, Ray Downey, and John Vigiano all played a part in his development. I know, like, over the years, all those people that were in our lives that he talked about or that were his officers, like, I always felt that he brought pieces of them with him, and, and that's how he built his own leadership skills. And, 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 and a lot of it was about being humble and being kind and, and good morals. Like, it wasn't just fire tactics all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, that's what makes a good leader. You have to, it's the whole package. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely lessons I've learned from Timmy uh, that were passed down from the senior men and just a general attitude there and that Timmy exemplified was, you know, to never stop working, to do your best. And Timmy did it with a type of compassion and open heart, almost like a simpleness almost, but he wasn't a simple person. As an officer, Timmy was a teacher, a leader, and the type of guy the type of man you didn't want to let down. Stackpole was so passionate about the job, it was infectious. He continued to teach fire tactics even at home to Tara. I wanted to learn about it and understand it better because otherwise it would just be a battle all the time. Like, why are you working in that busy company or why do you want to go to that busy company? And so it never was a battle. Like, he did... You know, he set his goals for himself, and he did what he felt like he needed to do. And I supported it because he loved it. Brendan Stackpole eventually became a firefighter like his dad. Now it's Tara's knowledge and understanding of firefighting that helps heal the family. I didn't know at the time, but later on, when he was injured, all that stuff came into play because I did understand it. I wasn't resentful that, oh, you were in a busy company and you got hurt. I I knew they were doing what they were supposed to do, and he was where he was supposed to be, and he was good at what he did, and he was well-trained. I do know more than I need to know, (laughs) but um, it gave me a better understanding in the future. Like, I didn't know that that knowledge would help me through the years of his career and his injury and, and then eventually his, his line of duty death. When I first got on the job, like at my first few jobs, my mom would call me right away. Like she would know, she would get updated through, uh, you know, whatever, the internet about the jobs. And uh, she'd call me and ask me like all these questions. And me as like, you know, naive young fireman, I'm telling the guys what she's asking me. <laughs> it, it you know, made for some good kitchen banter. And now they just, they just refer to her as uh, chief. Chief Stackpole. I think we should promote her to deputy chief, but that's my, my chief said. What's it like being able to come home and speak to your mom about some of these things, some of your experiences? It's funny because it leads, it's so like genuine and it's real and she's very knowledgeable about the job to like 
you know, meanwhile, she's never crawled down a smoky hallway. But uh, it even leads us to arguing. And I just realized, like, why, why are we arguing about, you know, tactics and, and uh, what you should be doing? <laughs> I love that so much. The, yeah, everybody, it's the guys sad, get a real kick at true. it. But, like, uh, you know, she's... <laughs> She knows what she's talking about, so it's 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 funny, but it's also just like yeah. it was brainwashing it. by your dad. <laughs> Sharing the career he loved with his family was great, but nothing delighted the Stackpoles like being together. I do remember seeing his joy being around his family. You know, his kids at a company picnic or the Christmas party. He was just so happy. Timmy uplifted everyone around him, especially his children. They were aged 6 to 18 when he was killed on 9-11, and the short time they had with him before then is etched in their memories. His daughter, Caitlin, explains. I, I just remember our conversations. Like, people would tell you that he had, like, a way of making anyone feel, like, special. But being so young, I remember, like, speaking to him and... He always spoke to me like I was on his level. Like he would always be like, oh, you hit the nail on the head, sweetie. Or I don't know. He just he just always validated me, always made me feel like I understood everything that he was talking about. I only had a uh, short nine years. Probably only remember, you know, four of them vividly. But he was so involved with us as a father. He made us all feel like we were the number one priority, you know. And then only to find out as I got older, he, he had those interactions with, with everyone always at all our sporting events, making us be a part of every sport under the sun, making sure we always did things as a family. You know, uh, growing up, my siblings were, were my best friends, you know, like we did everything together, uh, went everywhere together, and it was just a, it was just a great like environment, and uh, he definitely instilled that like team mentality between us. TJ Stackpole, the youngest of the children, once had to team up with his dad to avoid a scrape with Tara. This was during one of the NYPD FDNY rival football games. So we get to the football game and he went over and was talking to some of his firefighter friends. And so me and my brothers decided to challenge the NYPD kids to a game of freeze tag. And now there's a huge rivalry between the uh, FDNY kids and NYPD kids. So the game started and we were running around and I picked one of the older kids uh, to go after and he led me over a curb. And as I chased him, I, I wound up falling flat on my face and getting a pretty nasty cut on my forehead. Thankfully, there was an ambulance right there. My dad got me all bandaged up with the help of the ambulance. And then on the car ride home, while well, I had like dry blood, like still on my nose a little bit, he told me not to tell my mom. And if I did that, that he would bring me out and uh, grab ice cream with me the next night. My mom knew right away when we walked in, but I never found out how that conversation went with my mom and dad. But I'm pretty sure uh, my dad was in some hot water after that. Another fond memory TJ has of his father is watching movies with him and the rest of the family. TJ presently serves as a first lieutenant in the U.S. Marine Corps and attributes his father's favorite films for influencing his interests later in life. He was such a crybaby when it came to movies. Everything from The Patriot to Gladiator to North and South, we always watched all those movies. And... My mom would, would get pretty upset, but my dad would always let us uh, sneak in to watch it. And that, that kind of drove my interest into the military from a pretty young age. Hunkering down in front of the TV together was a wonderful experience for the Stackpoles and helped build character. You didn't need a lot. You just 
we were all together. We would like watching movies and right. Yeah, I, I like have vivid memories of my dad being like a blubbering mess, like during Bambi. Yes, <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I didn't see him cry at certain funerals, but like Bambi or It's a Wonderful Life or Sound of Music, like this guy was crying, grown, salty, strong man crying his eyes out <laughs> it's a wonderful life was a big big one for him of course it definitely was like a reoccurring like character trait in every movie or show like and it kind of related to himself i feel like brave heart right. the patriot but you read a lot of like all, all like personal world war ii stories of books of guys like just constantly finding that inspiration whether it be on a movie or a book yeah, you know, he loved I, I feel like history. he just was relating that to himself. Superhero things where you think were kitty, but it was like he just always kept himself in that, I feel like, that place of like those people like I don't know. In that mindset. Yeah. And It's a Wonderful Life took on a whole nother meaning after right. Atlantic Avenue because he just truly believed that he totally, you know, got another chance at life and could see everything, you know, could see his life without him. And so he had a whole nother level of appreciation. On the evening of June 5th, 1998, Lieutenant Stackpole was working in Brooklyn and gave his good friend, Dispatcher Warren Fuchs, a call. Timmy, you know, had heard me on the radio, and Timmy called, and he goes, Hey, Wah. He says, uh, I'm working at 103. I want a job tonight. Job. I got to have a job. That was Timmy. Timmy was full of energy, raring to go all the time. Didn't matter how many fires. He went to during the day, and this was only the beginning of a night tour, actually. But he was in 103 at the time, busy, very busy. They weren't hurting for fire, that's for sure. And he said, uh, he said, 120 truck is out of service, so add us on it, anything you can. So 120 is the next truck over from 103. They were out of service. And that really meant what Timmy was getting at was that if there was a reported structural fire, in most cases, and going in the direction of 120 quarters, 103, Timmy's company, would be the next up ladder. So in this particular case, that was the scenario. The box went out. It was short a truck because 175 was first due. 120 was out. And that meant that 103 was next up, so we sent them on the box. The five-alarm fire on Atlantic Avenue in East New York rapidly swept through a row of wood frame dwellings. Captain Scott Lepedra from Ladder 176 sustained burns to more than 70% of his body and died a month later after an agonizing fight. Lieutenant James Blackmore of Engine Company 332 was killed while fighting the blaze. 12 other firefighters suffered burns and other injuries, including Stackpole. So I was given uh, Ray Downey all the information that he arrived and then one, once things not that they really settled down but the fire was more or less under control everybody was accounted for and uh, Ray Downey called me and gave me the names that's how I knew it was to me and he said he was badly burned the firefighters had gone up to the second floor of the building searching for a woman they believed to be trapped the floor collapsed beneath them and they were plunged into the burning furnace that the first floor had become. And uh, he, he told me that he, he was caught in the collapse and he was burning and he was in a lot of pain. And uh, he, he figured he was going to die and he wanted to die faster. So he pulled off his face piece so he would die faster. And 
he looked me in the, told me the story. I'm dead serious. He, he looked in the eye and he told me he heard an audible voice that he believed came from heaven. And uh, he said the voice urged him to put his face piece on that he was going to live. And with that, he felt the peace and he put the face piece on. And he said, that's about when the, the brothers showed up. Uh, they, they put the fire out and they cut him out of the collapse. The men were trapped for almost half an hour, and it took several dozen firefighters to save them. Stackpole was taken to a nearby hospital, but with burns covering more than 30% of his body, it was decided he should be transported to New York's Wild Cornell Burn Center. Mike Brady rushed to the hospital in time to see Stackpole, and unintentionally ended up in the ride to the burn center. He's pretty clear at this point. Like, there's, I guess really nothing had been done medically so he's not he's not sedated he's very he's very clear about what happened in his situation he knows he's hurt so i just kind of go with him they put him in the bus and i'm just sitting there talking to him not intending to go on the ride and i remember father judge kind of just being there all of a sudden he's sitting next to me and we're talking to him and and it was very odd because next thing i know a medic came in and they just closed the doors and they started driving away and it really wasn't the intent i don't think on any of our parts to to do that, we were just sitting with them, and I guess it was just time to go. And whoever was in the front, they just, the guy got in the back, they closed the door, and the bus just started driving. Father Michael Judge was an FDNY chaplain. On September 11, 2001, as firefighters ran into the North Tower, he went with them, wearing his helmet and coat, praying for those in distress. Father Judge was killed that day. Before his death, Father Judge was known for his acts of charity and deep spirituality. But on the night of the Atlantic Avenue fire, it was Stackpole's faith on display that Mike Brady remembers. For whatever reason, I had a set of rosary beads with me. Timmy and Father Judge started praying. It was actually Timmy who was leading the prayer, which Father Judge talked about often. He said, that's supposed to be my job. And here he goes, he's like, yeah, how about we, you know, we, we say in our father. So he's kind of, again, like here's this, like I said earlier, coming to the firehouse as this larger than life personality and he kind of in his condition still kind of takes over in the ambulance if that if that makes sense not intentionally but just the way it's a positive the positive person he was so kind of starts leading us in a prayer and I had these rosary beads and so I don't know I think this is something that the priest should have and I, I don't know if he had them I, it was just it all happened so quick he has them in Timmy's hand and then uh, you know that was kind of the ride over it was just turned into this really powerful event, for, I think, for all of us that were there. Despite the excruciating pain, Timmy managed to call home. I remember being home that night, and I think my older brother was watching us, my mother was out to dinner, and I remember my dad calling. Either, you know, I don't know if it was from the hospital, but it was obviously before he was vented. And he was, like, calm, cool, and collected, asking where Mom was and... So I didn't think anything of anything that night. It wasn't until the next day that, like, my mom told me how serious everything was. Once Tara found out about Timmy's injuries, she rushed to his side. Miraculously, he still managed to beam with pride for the FDNY. One of the things he said before he had to be intubated the night of the fire, in, in fact, uh, Mayor Giuliani came into his room, and he kept repeating stories over and over that he wanted that spotlight on the FDNY for what they did that night and how they went into that collapse. You know, he kept saying the whole building was falling down around them and 30 or 40 guys were in there digging in the rubble to get them out. And he kept telling Mayor Giuliani, those are the heroes. Those are the guys. Nobody needs medals. 
that's what we do. That's what we do. And look what they did, you know, and it was, so for him, it was this realization of, I'm a part of this great job. This is what we do for each other. And so that was more important to him than anything. Stackpole spent 66 days in the hospital. His burns went as far as the bone on his legs, and he underwent painful surgeries and skin grafts. Through it all, Timmy kept his family as close to him as he could. I remember in the following days, I remember telling my dad, uh, just take a couple showers and like put a Band-Aid on his, on his wounds and, you know, on his burns, and that would make it okay. At my age, I couldn't even begin to fathom the amount of pain he went through, you know, during that fire and throughout the recovery process. I remember like a, a month after, in July, I was turning uh, six years old. We went up there to visit my dad. He must have had the nurses and my mom obviously involved in it, that they uh, decorated one of the rooms. And we had a whole birthday up there. In my life, looking back, it, it's, it's funny, like that was the most memorable birthday. And now even digging deeper into my father's psyche, is like, no matter what, you know, he, he was going to be the best father he could be after going through that experience, being down and out, dealing with the fact uh, he was in an operation that just lost two of the brothers and being told he'll, he'll never go back to the job he loved. And it was possibly his last job. And a month later, already looking at life as a gift, you know, making sure his family and kids knew that they were still the most important thing in his life. He was a guy who got a second chance, wanted to enjoy the time with his family. He didn't want to waste it. If you believe things happen for a reason, having that quality time with him every day because he wasn't reporting to work and he was with us, it definitely set us up for a lot of quality time that we wouldn't maybe get later on in life and definitely cherish those moments and think we're lucky that we got to have those in those uh, few years of recovery. After the blaze, Stackpole could have retired from the department and received a medical disability pension, but he decided not to. Instead, he set his sights on returning to work and the job that he loved. I was more concerned that he'd be disappointed. So I said, don't you think you should have a plan B? You need a plan B. I said, go go teach. There's, there's so many things you could do. And he got really quiet and he turned to me and he said, that's a defeatist attitude. <laughs> so then I was like, all right, I guess you're going back to work. Stackpole received a hero's welcome when he finally returned home. You would have thought somebody was coming back from war, the way like this, our neighborhood shut down and the block and everybody welcomed. And I just remember that being great. But like my mom said, he didn't, he didn't want like the recognition. Like I remember people wanting to make a big deal and he just, all he kept bringing up was, Scott LaPedra and Jimmy Blackmore. Timmy's love for the job intensified when he was released from the hospital. As Tara explains, she too discovered a new admiration for the FDNY. Ladder 147 and engine 281 went to our house while we were not home so that Timmy could make a comfortable transition home eventually. You know, he was gonna need a hospital bed for a while when he came home and that kind of stuff. So. They did massive renovations on our house, and uh, so our, our, our life was really turned upside down. But all the stuff going on around us was so beautiful. And he had a lot of survivor's guilt because uh, Jimmy Blackmore and Scott LaPedra sadly, you know, perished in that fire. So he felt some type of obligation to their family. He was very conscious of how they felt. But at the same time, he was so proud of his companies. He was so proud of his his old companies and his present company and how they rose to the occasion and just did the right thing. And 
you know, he was so grateful to them for helping take care of us during such a horrible time. I mean, and it's, it's something that people have come to understand about the fire department and certainly the FDNY, but it's a whole nother thing when you live it and you really see that, and it is a true, like we went through some very, very trying days in the hospital with him and those guys stood by his side and stood by my side in days that were really, really hard to deal with. And I will never forget them. I mean, it brought a whole new value to the word brotherhood. For Timmy, it was kind of like the realization that everything he believed in about that job is true. Everything he believed he was doing in his life, in his career, was true. And it was, it was everything he ever wanted it to be. It would take three years of rehabilitation for Timmy to return to work as an FDNY fire officer. But with the support of those around him, he was determined. Well, early on in the hospital, he would tell people when they came to visit that he was gonna go back full duty. And people, you know, that were visiting would look up at us and say, like, really, you know? And, but we told him, yeah, yeah, you're going back. But we kind of just, did it to give him encouragement and to give him something to hope for. None of us ever thought he was going back full duty. I believed he was still gonna be in, totally involved in the fire department. Like he had way too much to share and way too much training. And he, he, you know, all these valuable things that he had to share with people. So I knew he'd be involved, but I never thought he would be in the capacity of like actually going into a fire again. But he said it right from the beginning. He never changed his plan. Looking back, like, it was the greatest life lesson, you know, like he was who he was and there was no stopping him. His determination and resilience was always going to come to the surface. So him going back to duty, full duty was, was who he was. Yeah, he, like you said about sports, he always believed in the follow through. Like, you know, if you're going to join, you're going to see it through. And if it's not for you, then we'll do something next season. But you're part of this team and you're on this team until this season's over or and that's really kind of how he handled life. I mean, right, he, like, he had a loyalty to family. He had a loyalty to friends, to people, to his job. Like, it was such a part of him. It wasn't like it, it wasn't like a black and white thing where, well, should I go back to work or should I not go back to work? It was what he was. He didn't know what else to do. He couldn't imagine doing anything else. And when you have a love for something like that, like, you know, and, and how could anybody around you that loved you stop you from doing that? I remember clearly we were on a Bell Parkway past in Coney Island, coming home to Marine Park, and he told us that he was going back. And I remember asking him why, why he couldn't just stay at home and play with us instead of going to work. His response is that there were still people that would get caught in fires and that they needed to be saved. And I was pretty upset at the time, but I understood. He just loved his job. He loved being a firefighter, and no one was going to take that away from him. Nothing was going to stand in his way from getting back to full duty. It was always more than just being a fireman. I think it's the way he led his life. And I think he always felt the right thing to do was you led by example. And, you know, if you were capable of working, you worked. And, you know, he, he believed in a lot of the things that I think were bigger than his injury, which was his faith and his family and setting an example. And I think those are the things that probably drove him more than he needed to go to a few more fires. But I think he believed more in, in being a leader and a role model as far as you can overcome things. And sometimes maybe you need to push through things that maybe most people don't think you should because it stands for something bigger than yourself. And I really think that's what it was about for him. I said, Tim, you know, you, you, you're married, you have five kids, one, you know, they almost got killed over here, what do you, 
to take them up on. He goes, not, not, all, all, all I want to do is get back to Lattimore 3. And looking back, that was Timmy. He, he was never scared to get dirty or sweat. He always led a life of sacrifice. Timothy Stackpole defied all the odds and returned to full duty in 2001. He was promoted to captain on September 6th, and he marked his first tour back on September 10th. Lieutenant Will Hickey was a probie at the time and required to make journal entries while he worked, which the officer had to approve. He was in the office. I had done my entry, and I walked in, and I had my notebook, and I said, Cap, uh, I did my, my entry. Would you mind taking a look at it and signing it? And he looked at it. He discussed um, whatever I had written about. And then when he signed his, he signed his name, I remember he, he said, uh, wow, that's the first time I signed my name as Captain Timothy Stackpole. So, uh, you know, looking back at, at history, you know, when I look at that notebook today, you know, it's pretty special because I, I, not only do I look at it once a year, I always wind up finding something that I had forgotten about, but I look and I see in red, there's his name, knowing that that was the first time he ever had signed his name as a captain. My, my, my other captain who died, Captain Vinnie Brunton, he, he was on the adjoining page. So there were two legendary guys in my notebook that, uh, it's, you know, now that I have almost 21 years in the job, it's, it's real special to look back upon. That isn't the only indelible mark Stackpole made on the firehouse that day. He came into the kitchen and he, he told us, um, he says, fellas, I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm paying for the meal. And we were all like, no, we don't do that here. Thank you anyway, Cap. He says, yeah, good try. I'm paying for the meal. We were like, we don't do that. He said, listen, if you knew what the job did for me when I was injured and what they did for my family, he goes, this is something I need to do. And the senior guys allowed it to happen. At the end of the meal, he said, you know, guys, do you mind if I do a drill? And we were like, yeah, no problem. He's like, hey, let's go get, let's get the search room. I just want to talk about it. I hope you don't mind. I know I'm just covering captain, but I'd like to just go over something, get back into the flow. And we went into that whole, the whole evolution of the search rope, I guess. And at that point, you know, we, we started asking him, you know, we got into a little discussion and we started asking him about his fire Atlantic Avenue. And, you know, we said, Cap, is it hard to talk about? And he was like, no, just drop a pot of coffee. I can talk all day long. So ironically, we spoke about it for quite a while. We didn't have a run during that part of the drill. And he went soup to nuts from what happened during Atlantic Avenue. And you could hear a pin drop in the kitchen. And it was real interesting to hear his firsthand account. And, you know, he, he always kept going from the fire to things that happened in the burn center to things that you know, happened, you know, outside the job, what the job did for him and his family. And it was just, it just became like this, this inspirational tour where you were getting tactical knowledge and then you're learning about the job and, and, and what people do and all. And it was just a really, really like, he was just like an infectious kind of a person. I guess that's the best way to describe it. The next morning, September 11th, Timothy Stackpole was off duty when the first plane hit the World Trade Center. He traveled from the 11th Division in downtown Brooklyn to Lower Manhattan with Chief Dennis Cross. There, Stackpole led a team that ran into two World Trade Center to rescue victims after it was struck. He and the others perished when the tower collapsed. 
an unthinkable tragedy for the family after having endured so much. I knew in my heart he was gone. Like, I wanted to believe he was missing and he was going to be found. I wanted to believe somebody was going to survive that. Somebody was going to be found. But in my heart, I didn't believe it was Timmy. I, I really felt a physical, a spiritual disconnect. And so I don't know whether I felt like um, I didn't want to give anybody false hope. I remember that morning, you know, saying goodbye, hugging and kissing, taking us to school, then just being in school, and they were, weren't really, like, letting the students know what was really going on, but as they went on, kids were getting pulled out. It wasn't until we got home that we realized what happened, and the towers had fell, and uh, I remember my mom being, like, very emotional, just knowing that, usually, like, after any job my dad's ever been to, he would find the nearest payphone or whatever the case was and make sure to get in touch to, with her to let her know like everything was okay and good. So she, she was very nervous already. And not till that night, I think, like as family members started pouring in and we were all home that uh, one of my uncles was, was on the job at the time. He came in from Ground Zero and let us know that, you know, it's you know, official, he's, he's missing. I remember the news saying something like, like over four or 500 firefighters were missing. And I didn't know details, but I knew numbers, and like that to me scared the life out of me. But still, I just had a positive attitude. I was thinking, if anybody's surviving this, like it's my dad. Like he just can't get to a phone. That's why we're not hearing from him. But he's totally, they're gonna lift a piece of rubble and he's gonna come walking out with a group of people. And like Brendan said, I remember my uncle coming and my mom coming up and telling me that he had died. She didn't say he was missing, she said he had died. And that was a blur. I just, like, remember, like, collapsing and, t like, having her say that we had to tell my brothers, which was probably the hardest thing that we ever did. It, it was the hardest, the hardest day of our lives by far, or having to talk to my kids that day or that evening um, to come to some type of conclusion about it. It was the, the hardest thing I ever did in my life. My mom came down and, and told us that, that dad wasn't coming home and me and my brothers just started crying. I remember my aunt Megan was, was right next to me and she was trying to make me feel better and telling me it was going to be all right. And I, I, I couldn't even fathom what was going on. I, I just remember crying. I asked if we could watch Mulan, uh, the Disney movie. Cause I remember in the movie, one of the main characters, father dies. And if he could figure out how to deal with it, then I probably could. I remember thinking, of course, immediately I was angry because how did we go through, how did he go through this whole Atlantic Avenue situation and his, you know, horrific injuries and suffering, you know, to come back to this glorious place in his life and then to be taken. And it just didn't seem fair. But I do remember thinking like, you know what, there are just no free passes in life. You know, it, life is life and life is hard. You know, and there's good things in the world and there's evil things in the world that crush your path. And how you deal with that is what makes you the person you are. After Timmy's death, Tara was left to pick up the pieces and raise five children on her own. At the time, Kevin Stackpole was 18, Caitlin 15, Brian 10, Brendan 9, and TJ was just six. You know, people source is this happy family skipping around the community and going to church and going to school and going to events. And, and now all of a sudden they'd see us and it was, it, it made people sad. 
it made people sad because we had this tragedy in our lives. And I just remember in those days, always in my head thinking, they, how do we rise above this? How do I raise the kids the same way that Timmy and I set out to raise them? How do I let them be the people they're supposed to be and not the people that always had this giant anchor around their neck of 9-11, you know? And, and yeah, it defined our lives and it defined things that we did later in life, but I still wanted them to have the opportunities to be who they were supposed to be in the world, you know? And I wanted them to have faith and I wanted them to have hope. Because when you lose those things, I mean, you don't really have anything else to hold on to mm -hmm. on the worst days. So I just remember thinking they need to, you know, we need to continue on. We need to just muddle through, just kind of like he did. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't think of that at the time. But then years later, thinking back, I realized those were the, those were the lessons, how he persevered. He was resilient. He pushed through the worst you know, pain in his life, the worst days in his life, the worst psychological trauma he could have, he pushed through. And he gave us that example. As much of a tragedy as it was, my father, you know, passed in, in doing something he loved. And he also passed in, in helping others. So that, that was big for us, always being reminded of that. And uh, just knowing him now, like as like an adult looking at it, Timmy Stackpole was going to be a part of the biggest operation for the FDNY, saving countless of people and also giving those people one final chance of hope before maybe they passed. And he was always going to be a part of that big operation. The Stackpole family persevered and overcame the adversity of Timmy's injury and line of duty death. Kevin and Brian couldn't join us for this episode. But Tara says Timmy's most celebrated legacy is his children. I think Timmy would be very proud of everybody, the people that his children grew into and what they do. At the end of the day, you know, service jobs are one thing and serving's another thing. And he believes in all of that. But at the end of the day, he would just want them to be happy. And I think he knew that those type of things would make them happy in life. But I also think that he would be so thrilled that they're so close together and we all stay close as a family and we, we're together as much as we possibly can be and that meant the world to him. And I think that's probably one of his greatest legacies. Brendan is an FDNY firefighter assigned to Ladder 147, the same Brooklyn Fire Company where his father worked during the early years of his career. You know, I didn't want to be a fireman based on my father's toughest days on the job and the impact that it had on him and eventually on us for the rest of our lives. It was the years before that, uh, how much he loved the job and, and talked about it to us. You know, certain, certain of his operations were our bedtime stories. And, uh, you know, as a family growing up in Brooklyn, every night my dad was off, he would have the scanner on. And I remember, you know, as a young kid, like on school nights, uh, you know, we would be asleep and... My dad would come barge in the room like, boys, 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 come on. Mommy said we can go. There's a job a few blocks away. And he would just throw us in the car in the middle of the night, you know? So growing up in that environment, his love and, and passion for the fire service uh, definitely made it a no-brainer for me that that's what I wanted in my life. And I'm, I'm blessed enough now to have that job. You know, it wasn't until I got older, I understood the other side of it, you know, the brotherhood, 
the connections after Atlantic Avenue fire and 9-11, all the guys that were around helping us, helping my mom, always in our lives. I, I can never put into words what that meant to all of us and just another major reason of why I wanted to be part of the fire service. And now being on the job from operational standpoint, I, I get to talk to countless of other firemen and fire officers that worked and knew my dad and, and give me these amazing stories of how he was as a fireman in the firehouse, it, you know, it just it keeps him with me, you know, always. Caitlin Stackpole keeps her father's memory alive while raising her son, Timothy. The most important thing for me about carrying his legacy on is, is teaching my son, who's named after him, about him. And we're all doing a great job at that because he knows all about Pop-Up Timmy. Caitlin is a nurse. She spent a few years working at the FDNY's Bureau of Health Services with doctors who treated her father after the Atlantic Avenue fire. While working there, she would also meet members who knew her dad. It was definitely a blessing because I met guys and I heard stories that I would never have heard about otherwise. You know, people that knew him on a different level that I would have never, you know, been exposed to was, was a treat. T.J. Stackpole attended the Naval Academy, where he aspired to become a U.S. Marine officer after graduation. I wanted to go to the Naval Academy because 3,000 Americans were killed uh, during 9-11 attacks, and I wanted to be a part of the forces that got to answer back if it ever happened again. You know, the United States was, was not ready for those attacks, and there were guys that were in the, in the military at the time that had to answer the nation's call and go over there and make, make the, the, the terrorists who that to this country, they had, a, they had to pay. And growing up in Rockaway Beach, the neighborhood would host wounded warriors every summer and you would see guys, Marines, soldiers, airmen, sailors coming back from Afga Afghanistan or Iraq with missing limbs and traumatic brain injuries. And you would ask them why they joined and it usually had something to do with 9-11. They were there to respond to the nation's attacks when they happened and I feel like it's my turn now to, to do what they did. And I just I thank those guys that, that were there to answer the call, and I'm excited to get my chance now. TJ was successful in living out his dream. He serves as a platoon commander in the 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, and is currently deployed to the Middle East. We spoke in April 2020, prior to his deployment. Everything that I wanted in my life is finally coming true. I got here, and some Marines are thinking about, about getting out after that contract runs out, and. They're asking me for letters of recommendation to their state's fire department or their state's police department. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's awesome. The fact that these guys want to be Marine Corps and then they want to go out and continue to serve that community as firefighters and as cops, that's just something special about the Marine Corps. It's not, hey, I'm going to serve, now I'm going to take it easy the rest of my life. They, they, just, they just want to keep getting after it. It's just an absolute privilege to lead those Marines. This moment right now is probably one of the highlights of my life. If I could just replay it, I would. Looking back, the resilience of the Stackpole family can be traced back to a defining belief. Captain Stackpole's optimism, energy, and passion for life were all firmly grounded in his unwavering faith, which strongly influenced all those around him. I mean, our faith played a big role in our lives, and when things got tough, or when things were good, we relied on our faith. and. Timmy was all about that and it absolutely what carried him through life. It carried us through life. It, it carried through in our marriage. 
and in raising our kids. And you know, at the end of the day, that's really all you have. He was a man of faith and he really believed, actually I remember talking to him about this, you know, that nothing was impossible. And I think those are the, the things that keep me going when I work with people who are lost, you know, firefighters, EMT, who are dealing with um, trauma or just everyday life experiences, you know, to find, find the good in them, find their strength and help guide them out of the darkness, just like um, firemen do at a fire, really. The man upstairs needed Timmy. Timmy, you know, I hate to say it that way because Timmy's gone, but there, there's, there's a reason why our Lord called him. It's obvious Timmy must have loved Tara in part for her giving and maternal nature. Just as the kids found happiness in serving others, she did the same, especially after his death. After 9-11, she helped form a group which provided direction and relief to other families who lost loved ones. This group eventually became the FDNY's Family Assistance Unit, which is still in existence today. Selfishly, I, I, I needed to do something. I, need, I, I had the kids and I was busy with the kids, but I needed to feel like we were helping somebody else. Like there were a lot of families that that weren't that connected to the job and that lived further away and and needed, there were so many needs in the family, in all the families, and they needed to be addressed. Eventually, the family established their own organization in Timmy's memory. The FDNY Captain Timothy Stackpole Foundation's mission is to build a legacy of small acts of kindness where need arises. And a lot of what we do is we try to reach out and help people that, and be discreet. People going through a tough time in their life, people going through an illness or some accident or some tragedy, and we try to reach out, but, you know, not kind of brag about it and let them keep their dignity, too, because, you know, it's much easier to be on the giving end than on the receiving end, I found in life. And as heartwarming as it is that people reach out and do things for you, it's very difficult to be on that receiving end. And, you know, it's not always a giant grand gesture. I think a small gesture just gives people hope. You know, it restores their, their belief in mankind and people see your need and they, they're letting you know, hey, I, I see you. I see that you're going through this, you know, and sometimes that's all it takes, you know, and that's all it takes for that person to have a little hope. Even though Timmy Stackpole isn't here anymore, he continues to influence people. From time to time, Tara and the kids will receive word from someone sharing how inspired they are by Timmy, particularly members in the fire service. That reassures us that his spirit's living on. And here are these young you know, fire officers or young firefighters from across the country. They're still learning lessons from Timmy Stackpole. And that, to us, is a gift. And it, to us, it's so heartwarming when they reach out to us and let us know that, you know, and it's... It's funny because he, he was so bigger than life and his spirit was so big that when you see these people years later, some of them weren't even born when he died or were very, very young when 9-11 happened. But uh, especially firefighters and every walk of life, they talk about him like they knew him, you know? And I think that's a tribute to who he was, his, his spirit and his bigger than life uh, attitude, his bigger than life smile. People, that stays with people, and it's still impacting people all these years later. Of course, this means that those who knew Timmy, 
even for a short time, are better for having known him. They call them jobs, apparently. And, you know, I was a super young firefighter. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in the learning process. Everything's new. And this guy comes in and, like, he's just like, hey, hopefully we get a fire today. Hope we go to a job, you know, but we still got to help people. Got to make sure we got to help people too, brothers. And he just had this, this, like, this aura about him. He, he you know, he was just somebody that you kind of, like, gravitated to. You think back about the reactions that people that work with him have and the way he's able to motivate them. And you say, well, how did he have that ability to kind of be the, the leader of so many people with different personalities, not all like him, not not as happy-go-lucky as him. Some people a little mean, some a little surly, but they all took to him. And, and you try to say, well, I, I think the best way is, is probably his approach, is to be humble. And most of the stories or the drills were involved. Well, I'll show you what happened when I did this wrong. And these are the lessons I learned. I, I would say almost everything he taught us was based on a mistake that he made. Being humble and always acknowledging, you know, maybe your shortcomings or your mistakes and striving to be better, not try, striving to be perfect, but knowing that you'll make mistakes and try to pass on the good and the bad information. On 9-11 at the Trade Center, the civilians that got killed, they were victims of a terrorist attack, but the police and firefighters that rushed them harm's way, they, they gave their lives, they were casualties in, in the first war that this country's been in the 21st century. And FDNY members like Captain Kim Stagpole who gave their lives in the line of duty, they set a new standard of courage for future firefighters around the world to follow. After the attacks on 9-11, Americans promised to never forget. Each year, while solemn ceremonies are held all across the U.S., the Stackpoles have their own tradition. Yet for them, 9-11 isn't just an anniversary that comes around once a year. And we learned early on, we live with this every day. Mm -hmm. We have to find a place to put this every day mm -hmm. for all these years. So how we mark that day is what what's simple and important to us. So we, we gather here and we just, it's, it's like the right, it seems like the right thing. Yeah, for the Stackwell Foundation, it's, it's family, faith, and friendship. Like those are the three like pillars of what it's built on. Mm -hmm. Right. And what we always try to go over. Right, which is the things he believed in. He would want nothing more than for us to live. It's about living, you know, it's, we remember, we never forget, but it's about living. It's not, you know, it's, it's not about dying. It's about living. It's about how he lived. That's important. Yeah, that's definitely how I try to look at it always. You know, I like, after certain like jobs and stuff that I'll go to, like I'll, I'll drive home and I'll just like try to think about like what he would maybe tell me and stuff. and. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm missing that, that I don't get to come home, but, you know, I was fortunate that my mom's so into the job that I could talk to her now. <laughs> Every opportunity I could talk about 9-11, I would take it. I'm not a person that gets choked up about talking about 9-11. I, I love talking about it just because it keeps my dad's memory alive. It keeps all 343 firefighters that were killed that day. It keeps their memory alive. It keeps every single American citizen's memory alive. Some of the Marines TJ serves with are too young to have their own memories of 9-11. So, on a recent anniversary, TJ shared his. We found the biggest hill we possibly could, which is called First Sergeant's Hill, in the backyard of the base. And I had my whole platoon. We stretched out a little bit, and then we ran up the hill. And it's about 400 to 500 meters of straight uphill. And so you're crawling on all fours up this hill, and you're exhausted by the time you get to the top. And when you get to the top, 
there's a bunch of crosses. And the crosses have all the U.S. service members, or at least the U.S. Marines, from that base and those battalions that were killed in the war on terror. And so when you walk through there and you're out of breath, look at all the crosses and all the names, you kind of realize why you're there. And you get to the top and we get a little, we get a little bit past the crosses to continue the PT session. And I circle everyone up. No one understands why the lieutenant is taking them for such a, a terrible PT so early in the morning. And so we get to the top and I circle everyone around and we do 103 burpees straight. At the end of this, we're all pretty tired. And I asked one of them, I was like, do you know why we did 103 burpees? And they, they say no. And I was like, all right, well, school circle and bring it all in. And I told them the story of my dad and a couple other firefighters who were killed that day. And I talk about how my dad's firehouse was 103. And I just, I wanted them to understand that on 9-11, America wasn't ready and that'll never happen again. And we'll always be ready if something as devastating as the 9-11 attacks happens again. Terrence Coyle suffered a career-ending injury. After he retired from the FDNY, he decided to go back to school and has been working as a therapist both in private practice and as a peer counselor with the FDNY's peer counseling unit. So I had to ask his professional opinion of Timmy's resilience. Yeah, what I think about now from more clinically based perspective is the strength of Tara and the amazement of how she's been able to do it. Five kids alone, that's just mind boggling. I see those same qualities that I saw in Tim and her. Maybe she's stronger actually than it, you know, obviously she's stronger than most of us to do what she did. You know, and their family obviously is never be the same, but their resilience to carry on that legacy and honor Timmy and, and what he did is just inspiring. Yeah, you wonder what you would do in those situations if it was you, you know? Would you have that strength? I remember thinking after 9-11, I couldn't imagine how I was going to do what I had to do. And I remember, like, just, like, you just wanted to crawl in a ball and, like, I don't know, not do anything. And then I had this, like, I had this, like, futuristic vision of them, like, sitting around, like, a Thanksgiving table, me not there, and they're there going... Oh, yeah, it was sad when Daddy died, and it was really sad when Mommy fell apart. <laughs> she, like, had a nervous breakdown. So, like, I was thinking, like, they they deserve better. Like, I was thinking, I can't fall apart. Like, I mean, I did what I did the best I could, whether it was right or wrong, but I did what I, my instincts told me to do or what my instincts told me were right or wrong. And there were tough times. I mean, it wasn't easy a lot of times there were a lot of bumps in the road and obstacles we overcame but I always did it from a point of view of how we plan to be as parents together mm. and put those lessons across um, and so it's funny because because of what happened like all these years later people say oh my gosh you know Timmy would be so proud of Kevin and Caitlin and Brian and Brendan and TJ and, and I'm like yeah I'm pretty proud of them too that's something my dad always strived to be. He was never someone to freak out at any at any moment. He always had a calm head about him. I think my mom learned a lot from him, as you can see, as she navigated my family through all the trials and tribulations of, of our lives. She did so with steady hands. Tara's huge heart, faith, and compassion mirrors Timmy's. Those who knew him best do their best to pass on the lessons they learned from him. Uh, let me start off by saying that, uh, you know, Tim 
in, in my eyes and you know many people from Tom that know him he, he's like a, a real American hero this this guy you, you can make a movie about him there's not a special sauce or there's not a, a secret to it I think he lived a very simple life in a lot of ways where it was you know his family and his faith and and the fire department and really just not a complex life it's just really just old-fashioned principles of you know you you, you live an honest life you, you speak to people directly and honestly and uh, I think they usually respond to that. Your actions on the fire department or how you live your life outside the fire department, I think it's always for the greater good. I guess kind of one foot in front of the other and, and be an honest, hardworking person. And I think people of, of all walks of life respond to that because it's so genuine. Before Timmy got hurt, when I got hurt and was forced to retire, him reaching out to me, him reaching out and encouraging me to not give up. Don't give up, keep going, it's not the end. And, um, you know, calls like that and other other friends from the firehouse, you know, nobody does it alone. We all need help. And I think, you know, Timmy's attitude of, of being a man of service, his commitment and his faith was, was an amazing example. Just like he didn't give up after, you know, being burned like he was. I know this is not about me, but I worked up in the Brooklyn CEO 37 years, made a lot of friends. And, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, not because we're talking about Timmy, but Timmy was in a class all by himself. He was. Timmy was a product of, uh, of uh, just a all-American, great guy, happy-go-lucky guy and full of energy, full of full of everything that was positive. Anytime you, there could have been a problem with something, he'd find, he'd find something good, find a way to make it good. You know, he, he always wanted to do the, the right thing. He was always talking about the brothers, the brothers, you know, doing for the brothers, you know, meaning like, you know, sacrifice on, on his part, but to make everyone else's job easier. That that, that was Timmy. He, he would take that burden upon him, but always with a smile and a, a twinkle in his eye. That, that's what I mean, like what a special guy he was. This episode comes on the 19th anniversary of 9-11. The year 2020 has become a historic time as well, with a global pandemic, civil unrest, and economic hardship impacting every aspect of life in the U.S. With the Stackpole children serving on the nation's front lines, the question had to be asked, what counsel would Timothy Stackpole give us right now? Like he definitely instilled having a strong faith in me. I've relied on my faith a lot over the last few years. Um, and just to persevere, I guess that, you know, we went through that, we can get through, you know, basically anything. The perseverance part would be big. And I think he would just, I think he would be pointing out like, when there were tough times, he always pointed out the goodness in people, you know, and the, and the, the good people, the helpers, you know, and I feel like that, that's what he'd be, he'd probably be really obnoxious right now and rallying everybody to get through, you know, the quarantine and the, that would have been a lot of movies, that quarantine uh, time. <laughs> but, you know, he believed in people. He believed in, he believed people were good. And he would always point that out. He would always point that out to somebody or he would always recognize that in people when he had a conversation with them. He'd say, oh, you're really good at that. Or, you know, you're, he, he made you feel good about yourself, but made you want to be better at it. He made you want to be a better 
father. He made you want to be a better husband. He made you want to be a better firefighter, a better person. So he always looked for that in people. And I feel like at the worst of times and the difficult times we're going through now in this country, in this world, um, I think that's what he would be trying to instill in us and and say, yeah. And, and of course, we got through what we got through. We'll get through this, you know, and, it, and things will be better again. It'll, it'll, and we have each other. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, terms like resilience is, is great and it's definitely fitting for my father and his legacy. But I, I strongly believe it was, it was more about his, his, his love for life, you know, his passion. Like, he was consistent across the board, you know, how he was, whether it be with our family and fire department, his neighborhood, his peers. Uh, he was just consistent all the way through. And, uh, you know, he was never going to walk away from the fire department, just like he would never have walked away from his family. And I just think it's, you know, it's daily interactions, consistency, and just uh, be grateful for what you have. I'd say if my dad was here now, he would, he would just be proud of us uh, for being in the positions where we're at in our lives. I think any, any guidance that he would give us is just stay calm, cool, and collected, and the storm, storm will pass soon enough. Uh, I, I think if Timmy was still here, he'd find a way to make people, you know, believe it's at some point that things are going to get better. So... My, my takeaway is if everybody could be a Timmy. This episode during a pandemic certainly presented challenges. I would like to take a moment to thank Will Hickey, Terrence Coyle, Mike Brady, Robert LaRocco, and Warren Fuchs for sharing their candid reflections and memories of Captain Stackpole with me virtually. I'm so happy TJ and I were able to speak prior to his deployment. And the afternoon sitting around the kitchen table with Caitlin, Brendan, and Tara delivered a rare sense of normalcy. I'm humbled and immensely grateful to be able to produce and host this podcast episode, remembering FDNY Captain Timothy Stackpole. Thank you for listening. Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.